0: Best-selling, award-winning Master of Romantic Suspense, Lynette Eason, is on The Joys of Binge Reading this week, talking about her new book, Life Flight, the first in a high-octane adventure series called Extreme Measures. Welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free e-book and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and on the show this week Lynette talks about the secret of putting her military and emergency first responder heroes and heroines into the worst possible scenarios and then seeing them beat the odds. This is what her readers expect of her and what she delivers every time. As usual we've got free books to give away. This time a selection of authors have got together around the theme of Wartime romance can be any era or war. It's around the theme of love in the time of war. Links for accessing this offer can be found on the show notes for this episode. That's on the joysofbingereading.com website or on our binge reading Facebook page. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content like hearing Lynette's answers to the five quick fire questions. By becoming a binge reading on Patreon supporter for the cost of a little less than a cup of coffee a month, you can get some interesting free bonus content, quick fire questions, and a behind the scenes newsletter every month. But now, here's Lynette. Hello there, Lynette, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Look, you're a best selling, award winning author with more than 50 books to your credit, which is fantastic. You work with several different series and different publishers, so you've really got your hands full. And the series are generally adventure with suspense and romance built into them and a lot of formerly military heroes or people that are in the helping professions, the rescuing professions. Did you begin, when you started out with your first books, Was this where you were faced? Is this how you started? Or did that gradually develop as you went along?
1: No, I started with uh, the Romantic suspense genre and then stuck with it ever since. But that was what I was interested in writing and and I didn't see any reason to write anything else.
0: (laughs) So how did you get started? Was there a kind of epiphany moment where you thought, I've just got to get that book written, something you'd always wanted to do, or was it something you just fell into somehow? You know that there was an epiphany moment. I know that when um I was growing up, I always
1: loved to read like suspense, like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and Alfred Hitchcock and Agatha Christie. I loved all of that stuff. So but as far as, as trying to write, I, I tried to write a book when I was in the eighth grade and gave up because it was just too hard. <laughs> and so, but I have always done really well with writing and, you know, in school and stuff. And always I always had really good compliments on any kind of creative writing exercise and stories and that kind of thing. So I think when my daughter was, uh, was born and my husband traveled a lot with his job, and I just was lonely. And I thought, you know, this might be a good time to try to write a book because I kind of always wanted to, but I just never really, you know, like I said, eighth grade gave up. So when he would be gone, I would sit down and just, I call it talking to the voices in my head. And (laughs) I just kind of pounded out a story. And I knew that I wanted to write suspense. I didn't know really it was romantic suspense that I wanted to write until after I read uh, D. Henderson book, Danger in the Shadows. I was like, oh, okay. I guess that was the epiphany. I was like, this is what I want to write.
0: Yeah, and so um, that's just kind of tried to come up with that type of story and yeah. That's fantastic. Now, the most recent one that that you've got out at the moment is Life Flight and it's the first book in a new series called Extreme Measures and the hero of that is... Penny, a medical rescue helicopter pilot who gets stuck on a mountain in a bad storm where there's a serial killer loose. I mean, it sounds like a great premise to start off with. It's a real page turner, I might admit. So this is really the way you go with a lot of your stories. How do you keep the the action moving? Oh gosh, I just,
1: you know, it's funny because I don't plot out my stories completely. I just kind of start writing and see where the characters and the action and all that kind of takes me in. And it's just, I just, I just try to when things get bad, I try to figure out what can make it worse, and you know, and try to work that into the story somehow, and just so that the readers are going, can this get any worse? And then, oh, yes, it actually can. So, you know, <laughs> and it, it keeps readers awake and on the edge of their seat, and keeps them coming back for more. I guess they really
0: enjoy it. That's great. Now, the series before this one, because I started to dip into that series as well, Danger Never Sleeps. And I must admit, I got really hooked into Danger Never Sleeps. And you've got a four book series there, and they're all ex-military who've worked together in Afghanistan in one way or another on a military deployment. But now they're back in the US and trying to settle down into normal lives. And various things that happened in Afghanistan impacting on their lives as they try and get back to some normality. Now, in in book two of the series, I was quite struck because... Heather goes sandboarding in the Bamiyan Mountains. Now, actually, we had New Zealand troops deployed and they were stationed, their headquarters for part of the time was the Bamyan Mountains. And I'd never heard of anybody going sandboarding there. And I thought, wow, you've got the sort of detail that makes things come alive. And I wondered how you managed to get so close to the action. Do, do you have... Family that are involved in the military, or where do you, how do you do your research? Honestly, this was just—it was really a complete research. I
1: have, I, I, I have a couple of acquaintances that served there and have been home, and one of those has really turned into a good friend, and he gave me a lot, a lot, a lot of little details that only somebody who'd served in the military would know yeah. about. Yeah, and in the first book, like, in active defense. I simply did some research on, okay, you have all these people serving in the military and they can't, you know, be on 24 seven. They got to have some fun in their lives or you just, you know, you're going to go nuts. Yeah. So like, what do they do? And so I started asking around and I started doing some research online and I found that they actually do go do sandboarding in these mountains. And I was like, well, that's really cool. My character is going to do that.
0: so. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I was quite struck by that. And all the way through those books, there is that sort of detail that you feel only someone who served there would really know that that's the way it happens. And that's it. An, I always enjoyed that aspect as well as all the, the action stuff, you know, that you're getting a sense of a new location, a new environment. It's great. Is there other ways in which you do your research or is it mainly online that you rely? I do a lot online, but it's mostly talking to people that I
1: have come into contact with through various conferences and through other people introducing me. And say, hey, this person, I know you're researching this. Or I put a call out on Facebook and I'll say, hey, I need somebody that can talk to me and tell me what it's like to do whatever. And, you know, Facebook friends will say, oh, my brother's wife's cousin's son. <laughs> You know, is doing that job. Would you like to talk to them? Like, yeah, sure. So I do my best to talk to people that are in that situation or have done that job or, you know, can really, like I said, give me the details about
0: what it all entails yes but uh, you haven't actually for example flown helicopters yourself <laughs> Ah, no no I have not flown a helicopter but
1: I have an FBI agent buddy who has and he <laughs> has given me all the details for all the helicopter stuff
0: <laughs> oh that's great do you have an ideal output um, in terms of word count or the number of books you want to produce a year? What's your production schedule like? I do have a word count that I strive to
1: reach each day. I don't always do it. So therefore, when the deadline creeps up, I find myself in panic mode, such as right now. But, you know, life does interfere sometimes or and it's not always a bad thing. It's just, you know, I have family and other obligations and I have... A niece and nephew that I love to keep up with. They're seven years old and twins. And so my kids are older and I, you know. But anyway, so I do have that. But yeah, I write every day, whether it's 50 words or a thousand or two thousand. At some point, <clears throat> I am on my laptop just about every single day. And um trying to reach that word count because I know if I don't, it's gonna be more the next day, <laughs> and more the next day, and more the next day. So so, yeah, I do. I work every day. I usually work holidays, weekends, you name it. You know, there'll be times I'll take a couple of days off to do something fun with family. But I'm an empty nester. <clears throat> my, my kids are pretty much grown and out of the house. And so, you know, I just my husband works a lot of hours and he's pastor of a church and he works with the ministry in the Dominican and a ministry in Africa. And so, you know, he's he's gone quite a bit. And it's just me and the dog. So I'll work. I'm okay with that. I enjoy what I do and I try to get done what I need to do. If I don't, I have
0: to do it at some point. Now, the thing, I talked to Susan May Warren last week and she raised an interesting sort of little question, which I'd never really thought about before, about whether you're writing a series or a collection. And she made a distinction between those two things. I mean, I think of anything as a series where there's a sort of similar location or similar group of people who are involved. Do you make that kind of distinction between series and collections and are your books, series or collections, some of them?
1: I, I call them series. A collection to me is the stories may be kind of unrelated. They're all, or they may have a similar theme, but they're not necessarily related in any other way. For example, Dee Henderson, Danny Petrie, and I did two anthologies, collections, if you will. And the first one was called Sins of the Past. So each story, while the characters were not related in the stories, each of them had to deal with their sins of the past. And so it was a common theme that ran through those novellas. Whereas my series books have the different characters in each story like there's a there are two main characters in each story and the main characters may become the secondary characters in the next books so that's my way of differentiating between the series and a collection.
0: Yes and in your books often you can pick that one of the uh, secondary characters—you sense that they're going to have their own story in the next book. You kind of introduce yeah, and I do them that. Yeah,
1: you yeah, introduce yeah. them
0: so that you're setting them up for their own story in the coming book. Yeah, yeah, and I understand also from Susan May that you are working with her on producing. A series under her publishing company, or is that how it's working? You're actually yeah. working, yeah. So, what tell us a bit about that new project? Okay, so I have a series called The Elite
1: Guardians, and I did that with Ravel back in I can't remember exactly what years they released, but it was four stories. And we, Susie, has come up with uh, a publishing house called Sunrise Publishing and she has a lead author such as myself or Lisa Harris or Rachel Haupt. And what she does, it's basically giving people who are striving and working to become traditionally published, the opportunity to work with a lead author with someone who has a lot of experience with someone who's, who's, who's been through the process multiple times, to work, put, put us together to work with us. And we kind of guide, we, we're more of a mentor than anything and guide those authors in how to develop a story, how to write it, craft. I mean, you name it, we have talked about it. And in the end, we have a story such as, you know, say Lynette Easton presenting whatever the name of the author is. And so, and they have a book and they, ha- it, it's been a really cool mentoring process, uh, you know, is teaching these ladies, they're working so hard to to get their name out there, to get published. And this is a really great way for them to do that. And so it's just been a fun process. It's, it's a lot of work. and But they're just such great people. And it's so encouraging to see the, the progress and how far they've come from the time they start to the time that the book
0: comes out is truly amazing so yeah yeah that's great and so how does that relate back to Elite Guardians you mentioned the that series at the beginning is that oh I'm sorry
1: yeah so we took the Elite Guardians series that that world that I created with characters that I created and they took three of my secondary characters that I had mentioned and I think it was the last Elite Guardian book well and, and a couple of the characters had been throughout the whole thing but they took those characters and they gave them their own story. So that was really cool to see those characters come to life that I had created in a sense, but they just really built into 3D people who had their own stories. So that was cool.
0: Yeah. And that does raise the other issue that I was interested in talking to you about. You've got quite a sense of social justice in a lot of your stories and in the series, like, elite gardeners and women of justice there is that sense coming through of wanting to see right prevail tell us a bit about that aspect of your work has that always been an important thing to you
1: yeah I'm big on I'm big on justice
0: (laughs) you know except
1: in the sense I love that the bad guys get taken down. I love that when somebody does wrong, that the characters that I create have this sense of justice in that we're going to, we're going to fix this. We're going to make it right. We're going to, you know, because, and it might be kind of a control thing too, because <laughs> I know you see so much that's wrong in this world. You see so many things that you can't do anything about, you know, as much as you, you you would love to help, you know, fix, you know, solve the crisis of hunger and homelessness and all of these things in the world. And you can do your part, but you're not going to fix it. (laughs) And I think in my stories, you know, I always have that happily ever after I'm not saying it's cheesy and everything always works out in the end, but for the most part, I give my readers a happy ending because that's why they read And most people want the happy ending. I want the happy ending. (laughs) And so I just love that I can, I can do that. I I get to control it. (laughs) (laughs) And I just have a strong sense of justice. I think if there's an underdog or I, I like to see the little person become the hero or, you know, or that kind of thing. I just, I, I love to see characters change and grow and, and learn about themselves and not just, not just outwardly, but inwardly like, and, and, and just really learn, something about themselves that makes them a better person.
0: Yeah, that's great. The other aspect of this, your publishers, mainly faith-based publishers like Life Inspired, Romance and Rebel, and there are faith aspects of your stories, not in a heavy-handed sort of way. I wonder how you try and keep the right balance between introducing those things. I mean, there's that, that sort of joke that everybody is calls out on God when they're faced with tough situations but how do you do that in a way that isn't going to turn people off? Well, I, I don't like to preach. I mean,
1: there's preaching and there's preaching. And I go to church and I go to preaching. I know I'm gonna get preached out in church. <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know. Yeah. Yeah. But when I'm reading a book, I don't want to read a sermon. I want my first thing, my first goal is to be entertained. And as a writer, I want my readers to be entertained. I don't want them to be flipping pages going, All right, I need to, I want to get to the action. I want to get to the story. I can read about this other stuff. You know, I don't want to, that kind of thing. So I want my characters, if they're Christians, if they have a faith element, I want them to live it naturally. I want it to come through as a part of their their character ends that it's very natural. It doesn't come across as I'm like trying to force it or trying to fake it or anything like that, because nobody's going to respond to that, not positively anyway. And so in my stories, I try to think, okay, if I put myself in that situation where, you know, somebody's trying to kill me. Like, uh, yeah, I'm going to be praying a lot, probably. Um, <laughs> you know, even if I'm not as, you know, even if I don't have really strong faith element, it's going to make me think about things, right? And so I don't know. I just, I, I don't want to beat people over the head with the gospel. I want to present it in a very natural way. I want it to be, you know, I want to have the symbolism there. And so that if a non-believer picks it up, Picks the book up, they might see the message, but they're not feeling offended by it, or beat over the head with it, or feel like I'm trying to
0: condemn them and shake my finger at them, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. There is that saying: "There are no atheists in foxholes." Isn't isn't that right? Yeah, very true. Very true. Yes. yeah your husband Jack has also written a book I noticed on your website called The Loneliness Solution and I wondered um what was that one about and did he ask your advice when he was writing it (laughs) yes no (laughs) he he, like I said he's a pastor of a church
1: and he has you know just a heart for people that are in dire you know dire situations not necessarily dire situation but you know lonely and he just thought that he feels like loneliness is very relevant uh right now especially with the whole pandemic thing and he has actually he actually wrote the book before the pandemic so loneliness is not a new thing it's you know been around a while and so he just decided he was going to address the issue you know Talk about what people can do if they're feeling lonely and who they can reach out to and how that works. And then talk about maybe maybe people who are not suffering loneliness necessarily, but how they can recognize someone who is and reach out to that person. And it's just, it's talking about, you know, his, he really wanted the title to be, we're better together. And you know, he, he wanted, that was the whole point of the book. We're better together. We're better as a community. We're better, we can help each other and have each other's back. In life. And he, he, he took that back to Acts. And in biblical times, people gathered in houses. They, you know, they were, they may not have a blood relationship, but they were still family. And that was really the point of his story. And I mean of his of his book and he did ask my advice I did edit the first draft and I went through it and and you know I, I guess Gave him my thoughts on it. I'm not really a nonfiction writer. So I was able to offer some feedback on it, I guess. And Vicky Ravel was one of the editors, Vicky Compton, she really liked the story, like the the concept, the idea, took it to the pub board, and they bought it. And fortunately, it released in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> so it's, you know, been kind of hard to get the word out about it, but that is very relevant. And uh, I think more so now than, you know, even when he was writing it, which just makes it kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But anyway,
0: yeah. I quite agree well, with you that it's extremely relevant now, even more so than before, probably. Because a lot absolutely. of people are just being forced to isolate, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Look, turning slightly to the wider aspects of your own career, what kind of life experience did you have before you started writing novels? And did the things that you did earlier on help you when you came to be a writer? Oh,
1: gosh. Life experience as well. Uh, I, I, you know, like I said before, I I would rather write a paper than take a multiple choice test. Uh, you know, because I'm really good at writing, writing, writing. Um, but I was, I was a teacher for 12 years. And, you know, I met a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, especially my students. I worked at a school for the deaf and blind and taught deaf kids for a long time. And I just met. Many, many people from all walks of life. I was My brother was a prison guard for a long time. And so, you know, I've always had that kind of law enforcement as- aspect in my family. And my one of my cousins is a state trooper in Tennessee. And so, you know, I had those contacts. I, I already kind of heard stories of what their job was like and that kind of stuff. But that was interesting. You know, going to school and college and getting a master's degree in teaching really taught me a lot about how to find information that I wanted and so well, even though I didn't have a law enforcement background or military background or anything like that it I, I just was really able to kind of take the research and the information that I learned and the people that I've talked to and put that into a story format and the fact that I have a really good imagination probably helps too. Yes
0: yeah when you started out what was your goal when you started out? I'm sure that you didn't have a goal of writing more than 50 books. What what did you... <laughs> <laughs> No,
1: I think my goal, I didn't really have a goal to be honest, when I started when I started writing, I um that's funny. I I, I just really didn't have a goal. And I'm stubborn. And that's probably helped a lot because what happened was I wrote a book the no you know I was like okay I'm lonely I'll do this it'll take some time and I'll just it'll fill in it'll fill in time but you know anyway well then somebody read it and they're like oh it's really good somebody who's not a writer and could not see all the actual errors and terrible stuff in it so Um, (laughs) and they're like oh you should try to get this published it's a great story I'm like oh okay maybe I'll try to do that well I sent it off to a couple of different published two or three publishing houses and I got rejected with all of them and I was just like oh, really <clears throat> okay so then I kind of I was like okay well why what am I doing wrong and then I had to figure it out so it was like this whole pub puzzle I had to figure out what I was doing wrong and how the pieces fit and Just, I just, I was like, I'm going to get published. I'm going to do, I'm going to figure this out. And they're going to, they're going to buy my book and they're going to publish it. And then once I did that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm done. I don't need to do this again. Well, I don't know. I kind of got bit by the bug. And, you know, once I did figure it all out, I went to conferences and I studied it. It was eight years before I got published so I just decided
0: I liked it. They kept buying them, and I kept writing them. So, oh, that's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. But eight years—that's that's dedication, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, and it
1: was eight years off and on. It wasn't like I was consistently sending yeah. stuff in and and that kind of thing. I I only I got rejected that first story. I got a second story rejected, and my third story is the one that they bought.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, look, this is the joys of binge reading and we do like to ask you about your own reading tastes and if you've got books you'd like to recommend to our listeners. So have you been a binge reader much in the past and who do you like to read now? <laughs> hey, yeah, I've always been
1: a binge reader. I, you know, I Now I read all of my favourites, all the ones that I was reading before it was even published, you know, Cherry Blackstock, Colleen Cobble. Um, I'm trying to think who else D. Henderson, yeah, and Terry Blackstock, Colleen Coble, Deborah yeah. Rainey, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, no, that- yeah. All of them—they were writing for a long time. Al Gansky, I really enjoyed his adventure stories, and uh, of course Karen Kingsbury, and yes. you know, yeah. all, you know, yeah. and so yeah, so it was fun. That's who I was reading when I started writing, and of course D. Henderson was really just my all-time. Favorite, And I was like, oh, oh, when I read Danger in the Shadows, I was like, oh, this is what I want to write. This is this. <laughs> so now I read other people that have come along since then that I started writing, you know, Danny Petrie, Lynn Blackburn, Natalie Walters is a good one. And I mean, I, uh, Carrie Stewart-Parks is, is probably a favorite. She's awesome. She's an awesome person too. And so, you know, <clears throat> When whenever they have a new one come out, I usually grab them up and yeah. I am either saving them for when I'm not meeting deadlines, or and then and, and then I'll binge read all the books that I've been saving. You know, there'll be different authors that I've been saving them. So I do read some ABA authors, which is secular authors, I guess. I like I'm choosy about what I read with, with some of these. There's some James Patterson that I love his Michael Ledwidge series. There are other books by him that I don't like, but that's okay. But I do really enjoy that series. Some books by Lee Child and some books by Jeffrey Devers. I I just think Jeffrey Devers is a master plotter, and I would I study his books and I try to figure out how <clears throat> he plots these books. And it's just it, he blows me away with his plotting. But so. I do. Those are are some of my favourite There's
0: there's plenty there for people to choose from. Look, looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your writing career that you would change if you could, what would it be? About my life or my writing? Writing career. Your writing career itself.
1: Oh, my writing career. Oh, honestly, I don't know that I would change anything. I am... I might not write quite as much. I pace myself a little better. Maybe, I don't know, take care of myself a little better physically. I kind of, you know, was always on deadline and, and just running here and there and going crazy trying to meet deadlines. But I don't know. I've been very blessed and very fortunate in
0: being able to do what I do. Sounds like you're a bit of a workaholic. Would that be right? Oh Yeah, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to change that, though. I'm trying to change that. (laughs) So what's next for Lynette, the author, as you look ahead to the next 12 months? I have two more books in the current series to turn in. Crossfire
1: comes after Life Flight. And then I don't think we have a, a title for the third book yet. I'm actually in the process of writing the third book in that series right now. And then I'll write the fourth book. And then I have another series that I've already sold. And we haven't decided on a name for it or anything. It's just four more books after that. So I think that takes us through, say, December of 2025, maybe. So, I mean, you know, I'm I'm set for the next three years, pretty much. So
0: we'll see. (laughs) That's great. Now, do you enjoy interacting with your readers? And where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do. I appreciate the readers so much obviously without them I couldn't do what I do so I'm a big fan of of readers I my website is com, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and
0: if you just do a search for me you'll find me it's just Lynette Eason it's just my name sure and we'll put all those links into the show notes for this episode so that they're easy to find oh okay let me try this. it's been great talking Lynette, we're running out of time for this particular chat, but we could definitely get together again in the future. But it's been great talking. Oh, Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you too. Next week on Binge Reading, for fans of Kate Quinn and Kristen Hanna, we've got Meg Waite Clayton, author of the international bestseller The Last Train to London, with a new wartime story that will grab you by the throat, The Postmistress of Paris. It's the dark early days of German occupation in France and she's giving us a haunting love story with high-stakes danger and incomparable courage based on a true story of a young American heiress who helped artists who were hunted by the Nazis escape war-torn France. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can be sure not to miss us next week and not miss out on Meg Waite Clayton. And if you'd like to go that extra mile in offering us support, check out Binge Reading on Patreon for entertaining bonus content. You can even get a sneak preview on the books we're going to be talking about so you can get in ahead and read them before we talk to the authors.